Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. I get to be the pastor here. My name is Tim. So glad that you're here today in person or online or later in the week. So glad to connect with you today as we worship our God. We're going to go to prayer together. And there's one thing I'd like to share with you, and you've heard about this prayer request from individuals, or maybe if you're connected with our church through uh, our prayer online portal, is that uh, we've been praying for Linda Evans, who is affectionately known as Grandma Linda. She has been an important person in our outreach ministry called Mission Possible, and she was there this summer, and she did a wonderful job of teaching the scriptures to the, our kids there, and she fell ill. We've been praying for her, and I got, we got word this morning that she passed away. And that hurts. <clears throat> it's a big hole in our own, our own lives, in our own ministry, and in that community, and also in Mission Possible that we have a privilege to be a part of every summer. Our prayer is that our invitation is to pray for Linda's family now and all her friends and those who love her. So let's go to God in prayer together. So God, we, uh, that's, this is so much of life and life with you. There are wonderful heights and wonderful moments of joy. We just experienced and worship the worship of you. And yet our heart needs to also hold uh, the, a loved one that's passed away, Linda, Grandma Linda. And so God, we thank you for her life. We thank you for the grace she experienced in you that transformed her life where she continued to move, move closer and closer to you and be someone through whom Christ was known in really significant ways. God, thank you for your servant. And we thank you, God, that the legacy that you began in her life well, will continue for a long time in maybe ways we don't even understand. And so, God, we pray for her family. We pray for the friends that she has, all the communities connected to her life and her witness. God, we pray for your comfort, your peace to be known. God, for healing to take place among us as we hold on to the eternal hope we have in Christ that if Linda is away from the body, she's with you now. And so, God, we thank you for hope. God, we also pray for individuals here today that are hurting in all kinds of ways. Maybe, God, we know that you are good, but man, life is hard. So we pray for our friends and family here and who aren't here that are just scraping by. God, we pray that you would come near to them, provide for them. God, we pray for individuals that feel so incredibly isolated and alone. God, we pray that you would befriend them. God, we pray for those that are sick and hurting today. God, we pray that you'd be the healer in Jesus' name. God, we pray for individuals, even among us, that are just weighed down with shame and regret and guilt. We pray that, God, they would know your forgiveness. God, we pray for those addicted whether that be a substance uh, addiction or not, God, we pray deliverance for them and freedom in Jesus Christ. Most of all, God, even now, we pray for individuals we know who do not know Christ yet. God, may our hearts be broke as as yours is broken. May we long for them to come to know you. And if there is a way, a simple way, an ordinary way, we would play a part in their coming to faith in Christ God, may it be so. May your spirit be poured out upon them and us now as we hear from you 
So God, in these moments, use me or don't, or in even spite of me, speak so that we might love you more deeply and walk with you more closely. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We've been in a series called Road Trip in the book of Acts. We're getting close to wrapping that up this Sunday and next. And in September, we'll start a sermon series called Hello, My Name Is. And that is a message series built upon some of the great truths of the scriptures about who we are meant to be, our identity. So many times in our culture, our identity is up for grabs. And so we'll spend September looking at the scriptures to understand who we really are in God's eyes. And so we'd love for you to come to that. We'd love for you to invite a friend or an associate or a family member to that sermon series. It's only like four messages long, so anyone can endure that probably. So we'd love for you to come uh, in September with that. But our road trip takes us to a city called Antioch. It's uh, north of Jerusalem. I don't know if you can kind of see that right there. There's the Mediterranean Sea, and right next to that, to the, your right, is Antioch. It's a little over 7,000 miles from Jerusalem now. We started in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples that we will be his witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And at this point, we're in Acts chapter 11. It has taken the disciples at least 11 years to get as far as Antioch. They have not gone to the ends of the earth yet, but thanks be to God they have because we're here. There's still more to do, though, that people will come to know Christ. But 11 years later, approximately, they are in Antioch now. It is unplanned. They didn't have much of a strategy. They were in Jerusalem. We'll hear that here in a moment. And it was because of persecution that they were pressed out of Jerusalem and into the communities around them and ultimately to Antioch. And we'll spend some time looking at what God did at, at Antioch. It became pretty quickly one of two centers of the Christian faith. One was in Jerusalem and the other was in Antioch. And it was from there that God sent out the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, we'll read about here in a minute, to share Christ with the known world. And it was there that we first became known as Christians in Antioch. 11 years later, 7,000 miles later on this road trip. You know, our church has been in existence for approximately 30 years. And God gave us a vision to reach people for Christ that we might help people build their lives on the unshakable foundation of Christ as cornerstone. We had a heart for Westchester. 30 years later, I'm wondering how far our road trip has gone and how much further God wants to take us. We could talk about the Apostle Paul. We'll do that at some point, but actually one person I want to talk about today with you who is an incredible disciple maker, someone who has become a Christian, someone who's thrown their life and become a Christian, a disciple, and then also someone who's discipling people is Barnabas. We meet him in these uh, passages of Scripture that we'll read through today. Here's Barnabas, a, uh, a real picture of him. I think it was the first selfie taken. <laughs> Joking. It's an icon. But that might look like Barnabas, I don't know, but there he is, and he is a significant person in the Scriptures, and maybe you haven't even heard of his name because he doesn't get much press. His actually disciple Paul gets most of the press, 
But Barnabas, without Barnabas, we probably would not have Paul. And without Paul, we would not have at least half of the New Testament. Without Paul and what God did through Paul, most of the churches around the known world at the time would not have been established, and it happened because of Barnabas. Barnabas was first known as Joseph. You know you've got a thing going on when you uh, have a name named Joseph and then you get a nickname. That's when you know you're into something, when people start having nicknames. His name was Barnabas, his nickname was, which means son of encouragement. He was from Cyprus, not very far from Antioch originally. And it was through Barnabas that Paul was discipled, basically. And through Paul, God reached the known world at the time, basically. Barnabas in ways that no one else had, actually continued to disciple people the way Jesus discipled people. We see that in the Gospels. He calls three and 12 people to himself, Jesus does, to be with him, to learn from him, to walk with him, and to be sent out into ministry in his name with power and love. And then, unlike anyone else, Barnabas embodies the way Jesus makes disciples. We have no account or record in the New Testament of Peter or James or Bartholomew or Matthew or Mark, well, Mark to a point, actually discipling people like Jesus disciples people. The person who does that is Barnabas. Now, most likely, Barnabas learned to live like Jesus and disciple people like Jesus from the original 11, most likely, but there's no record of it on the pages of the New Testament. There is Barnabas, though, who has the ability, the capacity to see the potential of God in someone's life and then come alongside them and walk with them and introduce Christ to them and walk with them and help them learn Jesus and become more like him and then be empowered to do the same for others around them. Barnabas is our example, unlike anyone else except the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul learns it, I would say, from Barnabas. So what does a disciple maker look like, or what does that even mean? Well, the first thing is a disciple maker is reborn and discipled. Here's what the Scripture says, reborn and discipled. Here's in Acts chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of the people were brought to the Lord through Barnabas' ministry, through his disciple-making capacity. So the first thing is, a disciple-maker isn't a special person at all. It's not like a unique class of people. It is someone who has been reborn by the Spirit and discipled themselves. It says this, that he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he was with the original disciples in Jerusalem. He came to know who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Savior, and allowed himself to be loved by God, to be forgiven of his sins, and then he was discipled by the eleven, most likely, to the point where he not only knew Christ, he began to look like Christ and see the world around him as Christ sees the world. And then he was actually someone who drew people not just to himself, but he drew people to Jesus Christ in a way Barnabas embodied this teaching in Scripture in the New Testament to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And that happened because he surrendered his life to Christ 
And he wasn't born naturally that way, a natural leader. He was reborn by the power of the Spirit, it says, full of the Holy Spirit. And he was given the power and the love to be someone through whom God used to not only reach people for Christ, but to draw them to him and help them become more like him. And he was discipled by at least the original 11, maybe more. He spent time among the people of God, learning the ways of Jesus and taking one small step after another to live his life for Jesus Christ. Disciple-makers are reborn by the Spirit, and they're discipled themselves. They're not born that way naturally. No one comes out of, you know, where that way. No one is delivered in a plastic bag and torn open and then set out and just perfectly ready to go. Not at all. Even pastors. No, they're reborn, and they're discipled by other disciples of Jesus so that they were actually people by the grace of God through whom the invitation is given, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Barnabas was a shining example. And as far as we know, he didn't write anything down. And he's barely remembered in the church often. So disciples are reborn and they're discipled. And the second thing is this, a disciple maker is a team player on mission. Now, we might have this idea that Barnabas, if he really had that kind of impact, if God really used that kind of person, he probably looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, commando, and he had like the helicopter gun on his shoulder. Not, I mean, that's probably what we might think. I'm just not that kind of person. I don't, I don't lift weights. I don't have that strong jawline. I don't have that accent. You know, whatever it is, I mean, I'm just not that great. I'm not that special. We think that about Barnabas maybe or someone who would be a disciple maker, but most likely Barnabas was more like a hobbit from the Lord of the Rings. I mean, not much to look at, easily dismissed because he was a team player. He wasn't a solo heroic hero. He was a follower of Jesus, depending upon Jesus and his mercy, and he was drawing people not only to Christ, but he was building people around him, being on a team, and through that team, God reached the world at the time. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 to 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who's also known as Paul, and when he found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Barnabas wasn't a solo heroic hero. He was a team player on mission. He knew the Lord, and he knew the purpose for his life was to be not only to know the Lord Jesus, but to reflect him and share him with other people. But he wasn't a solo heroic hero. He was a team player. He grabbed Saul, and he saw in Saul something most probably didn't see, because before Saul came to know Jesus Christ, Saul or Paul was a persecutor of the church and of Christians and in the name of Jesus, until finally one day Paul met Jesus Christ for himself. But still, there was rumors about Saul. Maybe he was faking it. 
Maybe he wasn't real. Maybe he still was against Jesus and his people. And But Barnabas saw through the fog and saw through the rumors and saw through the names that others might have placed on Saul, even saw past Saul's history and saw in Saul someone whom God loved and someone whom God had a purpose. And he finds Saul and he puts him on the team and together they disciple many people, it says in Antioch. For a year, they do this together. Many people come to know Jesus, and it's there that we become known as Christians, which simply means followers of Christ, people who are not only know Christ, but slowly over time and maybe even incredible moments where God shows up becoming more like Christ. And it is there that we're called Christian for the first time. Paul is not a, Barnabas is not a solo heroic hero. He's a team player. He knows his purpose. He has a mission, and he includes others. In the animal kingdom, you knew I'd probably go here because I continue to talk about animals like elephants and ducks and things like that. If you haven't heard that, watch the messages this summer. Here we go again. But in the animal kingdom, there is the tiger and the lion. And tigers, I have come to understand, are larger and stronger and faster than most lions. And in a one-to-one -one fight, now if you're like a zoologist, and if this is, don't, just bear with me, but a one-to-one -one fight between a lion and a tiger, most of the time, the tiger is going to win. It's bigger, it's more fierce, it's stronger, it's faster than the lion. Almost every time, the tiger is going to win. However, when there are groups of tigers and lions fighting, the tigers are most likely going to, the lions are most likely going to win. You'd think that wouldn't be the case because you have bigger and stronger tigers, they're going to win, right? More force, more strength, they're solo heroes, but most likely tigers are going to win because, or lions are going to win. You follow what I just said? Because lions are team players. They will actually tag team together and fight as a team against their enemy. Tigers will not do that very often. And in some ways, to be a disciple maker isn't to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's to be like a hobbit. It's not to be a tiger. It's to be like a lion who's on a team because there is strength in numbers, and I might not have it all together, but with you all, we have it all together by the grace of God. You don't have to go out on your own. You don't have to be a heroic leader. You just need to be a lion, one to come alongside other lions and see what God will do. Barnabas knew that. He probably learned it from the original disciples, but he knew that and he did it well. The third thing, real quickly, so disciple-makers are sustained by seeking the Lord. The reason we continue to follow Jesus and we continue to allow him to work in our lives, uncovering things in our life that are not of, not of him, the reason we continue to long to love him and obey him because he first loved us is because well, we're seeking him still because he first loved us. It's not because we 
our resolve to do it is not because we're strong in our own strength. It's not because we want to be important or we want to be awesome or we have a cause or an agenda. It's because we are becoming the kind of people who long to seek Him in worship. And that is where our strength comes. That's where our energy comes from. That's where our passion comes from. For our endurance to come from is from that place where we seek the Lord. Disciple makers seek Him. They're not seeking certain numbers of people. They're not trying to make a name for themselves. No, not at all. But they long to be with Him. And because of that, then they're push forward into their communities to reach people for Christ. In Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, it says this, while they were worshiping, this is a whole group of disciples, the, the Lord in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. That word right there of worshiping the Lord is the same word used in the Old Testament when describing what a priest does at the temple in Jerusalem. They are worshiping or ministering to the Lord in the Jerusalem temple when it was not crushed and destroyed. They are seeking to behold the presence of God and they are standing in the presence of God and they're ministering to God. They're worshiping God and they long to behold or see and be experience God's presence and they worship Him. In the Old Testament, they had bands of people that were set up to worship God like that night and day and they would seek him, long to see God's presence and his power and his beauty, and they would worship God. And Antioch, over 7,000 miles from Jerusalem, it says the disciples are worshiping or ministering to the Lord. In Antioch, over 7,000 miles away from Jerusalem, it's not that they're like against the temple in Jerusalem at the time, it's that because of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, they're experiencing the temple-like presence of God. God is showing up in their midst, not just an idea in our heads or words on a page or an argument that we're convinced of, but the presence of God is being known and experienced, and they're longing to be a part of that, longing to see Him, longing to worship Him. And in that place, Jesus Sets apart, sets apart individuals to be about his work in the world, calling Barnabas and Saul to be sent out into the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ in a way to build and rebuild people's lives upon the cornerstone, cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Worship sustains us. Seeking the Lord sustains us. It inspires us. It might even challenge us and call us to a greater surrender so that we might know the presence and grace and joy of God. So we worship every Sunday. But on Wednesday, we'll worship again at 7 o'clock. And Jason's leading our time there. It's called the Encounter Night. And this might be a really practical step for us. 
to come once again on Wednesday at 7 to encounter our God, to be refreshed, to be restored, to be healed, to long to see Him. And even the early disciples would pray and fast. They would set apart time to know God and to seek God. And they would even fast. They would give away temporarily things that they need because they needed God more. And so my invitation to you, Cornerstone Church, or anyone listening, is to come to Encounter Night. Because what God started here 30 plus years ago, God is not finished. And the story that God is writing through our lives, the story of redemption has not drawn to conclusion yet. And there is more ahead of what God wants to do. And even if we're not a disciple maker yet, there is a place for us, and it just might start in worship. We might think that a movement of disciple makers that make known Christ in the world and help people come to know Him and learn Him and follow Him is something relegated to the past. And we hear it all the time about our culture, how post-Christian we are. I'm not going to argue against that or to all these problems, all these challenges. But my friends, even today, the Spirit of God is at work, and there are disciple-making movements happening all around the world. There's even one happening in Tampa, Florida right now, I would say. And it is a church plant, an out-of-the-box church plant that are basically house churches. They don't meet in a building like this. And they have been just humble servants of Jesus with little money, little time, a lot of responsibilities in their lives. And they have continued on this path of becoming a disciple of Jesus and helping others do the same. And right now, they have over 500 house churches meeting in Tampa, Florida. It's gotten to the point where they're, the leaders aren't necessarily even pushing it. It's gotten to the point where it's almost like this domino effect, and there are like house churches popping up in different places, and the original leaders don't even know about it yet, and then they find out about it, and they try to support those house churches. Over 500 are happening right now in our country, and these humble servants of Jesus are just longing to be his disciples, longing to make Christ known in practical ways. I mean, they're starting prison ministries, home care ministries. They're helping people who are hungry. They're helping the poor. They're doing all kinds of things, and it's just like this domino effect happening 20 years in the making. And we might think it can't happen again, and yet, no, no, it's happening now. The disciple-maker is someone who's reborn by the Spirit and has discipled themselves. A disciple-maker is a team player on mission for God. Not the Blues Brothers mission, but on mission for God. And a disciple-maker is someone who is sustained and inspired and pulled forward by seeking the Lord and His presence. Would you join me? Let's pray together for a moment.
So I'm so mindful, God, that we're all on a journey. And your grace is always enough. And your grace is poured out upon us ever before we try to please you or make sense of our life, ever before we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Your grace is poured out upon us because of Jesus Christ. And maybe we're just spiritually curious. We are searching for something. And so the first step for some of us is to just take one step towards you, Lord, who's already running towards us. You are the cornerstone, the unshakable foundation that will never be shaken, never, never, never. And so for some of us, we just need to turn to you now and to surrender, give to you whatever it is that's keeping us from you. We might know your forgiveness. We might know your mercy. We might know your love. We might know that we are yours now and you are ours. For some of us, we are believers. We have known you, Jesus, for a long time, it seems like. And yet we haven't heard your call to be a part of what you're doing in this world or we've resisted it or we've made excuses or we've rationalized things or we've forgotten or we've gotten busy or maybe we've just gotten kind of cold. And so may the fire of your spirit warm our hearts once again, free our hands. We might serve you again, maybe for the first time, that we might take one more step towards you, Jesus, learning from you, so that others might come to know you. So now, meet us now, God, by your word and by your spirit as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.